Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to radio show 331, Conscious Leadership and How to Create Healthy and Thriving Organizations. So today we're going to be talking about how to create healthy and thriving organizations for a more conscious approach. I'm Joe Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. And the Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Natasha Wallace, who's author of The Conscious Effect. So welcome, Natasha. Thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll talk in a bit more detail about uh, your book and, and what it all means. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, um, my company is Conscious Work, so it's a coaching and leadership development company um, at heart, but we specialise in well-being. So I spent my career in HR, um, mainly in organisational development orientated roles, um, leading teams, but managing change and looking at leadership development, behaviour change in organisations. So that's where I sort of, I guess, cut my teeth. And a couple of years ago, I set up on my own um, because I really wanted to help leadership teams to understand more about how they could create uh, working environments that sort of met the needs of, of everybody involved in, in business. So, you know, the shareholders, the leaders, the employees, everybody who has a, a vested interest, including the customers. So I wanted to sort of lift the lid on what a healthy organisation and healthy behaviour looks like, and that's and that's what I do now through through the work I do and through my business. Lovely. And as part of that, uh, you've written a book, and um, that's the sort of main topic of today. And um, it's called a conscious effect. Tell us more, or in fact, there's a there's a, a next bit to it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lessons for better organizational well-being so tell us a bit about what the book's about and, and we can start to sort of unwrap what conscious leadership is from your perspective yeah okay well I mean I I burnt out <laughs> so yeah. I ended up in a situation where I went quite quickly from doing a job that I loved um, being sort of deeply committed to the work that I did um, and uh, putting pretty much all of my energy into my work within six months I had lost my confidence I was highly anxious um, I was very very emotional I couldn't think straight I found it difficult to make decisions and I ended up leaving my job as a consequence of that um, and it was a massive wake-up call to me because I recognized that regardless of the fact that I was an HR director, so there was a sort of expectation that I got people and I got well-being, and you know, I I had an expectation that I would be able to look after myself, um, and that I would be able to manage myself and my world in a way where you know I would not get to the point where burnout happened. But of course, that was 
nonsensical. Um, and it really, really made me realize that for years I had simply been working like a bit of a Trojan horse. I hadn't taken care of my well-being needs. But, but more than that, I was in a bit of a bubble, um, behaving in a way that probably didn't, um, one, bring out the best in me, but didn't bring out the best in my team. Um, I had particularly high standards. I, you know, was all about service delivery and making sure that we did the best possible job. But actually, you know, in the long term, it detrimented me and, and probably my team. It wasn't a sustainable approach. So um, for, for a number of different reasons, but not least because I didn't want to end up in that situation again, I decided that I was going to totally change the way that I worked so that I didn't ever meet the same fate, but that I wanted to help other leaders um, to, to do the same. So my, my, yeah. the dawning realization through all of that was a total sort of lack of conscious awareness and a uh, default to working on autopilot was the thing that led to my demise. And then, you know, subsequently I've spoken to so, so many people who've either experienced exactly the same thing or who fear they're going to um, and who I'm, you know, now thankfully in a position um, to be able to help. Mm, lovely. So um, a, a, a great introduction to, to why this is so important. And I'm really pleased to be talking to you because when I talk about wellbeing in organisations, I often come across people who are talking about, um, you know, we give free fruit and we've got a step challenge and, you know, they've got all this sort of like menu of, of stuff that they're doing. And um, I always talk about leadership because actually mm. those things are really nice and they're great and they can create team building and they can help people feel better and, you know, all of that stuff. But if you've got like a sort of, it doesn't even have to be a toxic management leadership um, scenario. It just needs to be people who don't get that the way they're behaving is detrimental to people's well-being as well as their own as you've you've said and yeah. you know you can do all the things in the world but actually you still have these issues so great to be talking to you um so let's talk more about what this sort of consciousness means because i think what you've said is it isn't about all these sort of bells and whistles and well-being programs it's actually about how we all behave isn't it it really is and i mean the 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 big wake-up call for me was the extent to which we're so governed by our pre-programming, the sort of patterns, behaviours and thoughts that have governed our lives for many, many years that are informed by our upbringings, by the role modelling we've seen around us, both as children, but also in our, in our work. Um, mm. And in a world where things are just getting so much busier and there seems to be so many more distractions and there's so much pressure to deliver and do you know more with less the bandwidth that we've got to really see ourselves and really see who we are and really understand how we work and, and whether that's getting the best for us and the people around us just becomes hugely diminished so, you know, I talk, I talk to so many people who say, you know, I, you know, I really would like to, the basics, I really would like to go to the gym. I really would like to eat better. I really would like to cut down on my drink. I really would like to work less hours. But, you know, the way I work, it just doesn't work. Or, the, you know, the, the environment I work in, it just doesn't work. So those sort of basic behavioral everyday things. But mm -hmm. then the thing that sort of goes a step beyond that is who I am and the impact that I have on the people around me every day 
and the extent to which what I think and feel every day is enabling me. Um, mm. So, you know, we hear about imposter syndrome all of the time and um, growth mindset and whether I'm willing to accept my own failures and mistakes and forgive myself and learn from the things that I go through with a view to just getting better and, you know, recognizing that we're all on a constant journey. All of that stuff um, gets in the way of us doing our best work every day. Our own ego gets in the way of us doing the best work every day. Our sense of entitlement, the fact that we feel like we've hit, you know, a certain level, we've got a certain amount of status, which means that that's you know, that leads us to think that we have to come up with all of the answers. We forget how to engage people around us. I mean, there's a whole pile of behavioral stuff that happens as you move up the ranks that, you know, happens to the best of us. This isn't bad people doing bad things. This is good people doing bad things <laughs> because yeah. they're just simply not consciously aware of the impact they're having on the people around them. Um, mm. And I talk to people all the time who, who find it difficult sometimes actually to recognize that. But, but once they realize that it's okay to not be perfect, you can then start having a really sensible conversation with somebody about how they could be, you know, an even better version of themselves. Yeah, yeah. So as with lots of things, it, it, it seems to be a lot about self-awareness. And, and we, you know, there is some focus on, in organizations on that. You know, people do personality tests and, you know, when people have, I don't know, appraisals and, and all that, that sort of thing. But it, it, it doesn't always work. I mean, that's sort of why we're having this conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what sort of um, thoughts have you got around how people can sort of do this for themselves, but also how we can help people in our organisation? Because also I think the other thing that happens, I, I was a retailer and it seemed like we invested in everything. We had you know, all the programs and, and all the new learnings and, and we were always getting speakers in to tell us all these amazing things and everything else. But the thing that always got in the way in the end was um, according to the needs of the business. So, you know, all hell breaks loose on the shop floor and you have to go and deal with that regardless of anything else. <laughs> and I guess yeah, every yeah. sector has their own version of what whatever that um, urgency is, which then just gets in the way of, you know, of all, all this good stuff. So how yeah. do we do it? and how do we do it in organizations that's a massive question that'll take us for the rest of the yeah. day pretty much yeah okay <laughs> well I mean I, I guess in terms of my own personal journey I've done none of this with an employer I have done all of this waking up and all of yeah. this conscious work myself um mm -hmm. and it's been you know I guess a myriad of different things I've I've had my own coach I've done therapy um, I've had coaching supervision to supervise my own coaching because you, you learn a lot about other people through coaching. Um, but you also need to recognize how you're showing up when you're um, in that sort of, I guess, privileged role where you're helping somebody else fix their problems. Um, I've done, you know, behavioral science um, training. I've done neuroscience. I've done um, course, really immersive self-development -devel courses where you have to really, really challenge and question who you are. Um, and I do, you know, a heap of meditation and um, I've just started to do yoga to blend that with the meditation, which makes a real difference. Um, and also really, really considered how I am showing up with people and learned about you know, my triggers and what brings out the best in me. So, you know, looking a lot at positive psychology and strength-based development, 
really, really learning about where I get my energy from and trying to channel my energy into the sort of work that makes me feel really, really good. I've got the the, the luxury of being able to do that because I've got my own company. Um, but there's more and more of that happening, even with clients I'm working with now, really help people shaping, helping people to shape roles that actually play to their strengths. So, so there's a heap of, and then I've done loads of reading, and I've listened to podcasts, and I've watched TED Talks, and a, a whole heap of different things to really, really help me to learn who I really, really am. Um, and some of it's really hard. Like, I'm not going to say that it's necessarily easy. Um, you know, the more you find out about yourself, the more you know you realize that you need to find out about yourself and so the work continues but I think you know in an organizational setting there's a whole heap of of things that you can do to create an environment where people can become more self-aware um so firstly create a space where people can have open and honest conversations I mean we're hearing so much now about um you know mental ill health and um you know mental health first aid where people are training up to be able to support people who can come and speak to them if they've got mental ill health. I mean, I think that that's great, and I think it's a good starting point. I don't think it's the answer. I think leaders need to be creating environments where they show some element of vulnerability, where they say, actually, I'm not perfect, and I don't do it right all the time, and I struggle sometimes, but actually, you all will too. So actually, let's start to be a bit more honest about what we are going through. And I don't yeah. mean that the leaders all end up, you know, coming to their teams and expecting daily therapy from them. You know, that's, that would be an imbalance. <laughs> but certainly a bit more honesty. I think we, we sort of turn up to work thinking we need to be bionic and leaders leave that, you know, they role model that. So I think when <laughs> leaders show that they're actually human and they spread messages to say, look, we are just human and we're all doing our best, but work is tough and we are challenged by it sometimes and life can present us with difficulties that we need to face. So actually, let's talk up about it. And then creating, you know, really um, clear ways of doing that. So people in the organization you can go to, um, training managers and leaders to be coaches. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest differentiators as far as I'm concerned between a leader who creates an environment where people feel safe and a mediocre leader who um, manages uh, sort of process systems and performance. Unless you as a leader can show some compassion and empathy for what people in your team are going through, and unless you let your own defences down and recognise the fact that you are not perfect to start with, mm. um, then actually you're in a hiding to nothing. So I say, I say to leaders, look, unless you can forgive yourself, Unless you can put your hands up and say, I am flawed in many ways and I don't get it right, but I'm doing my very best, then you cannot offer people the support that they need to stay well in the workplace. So, you know, there's some fundamental characteristics of being a coach um, and it is the ability to suspend your belief, to be curious, to, to empathize with people to not want to jump in and give the answers, not make assumptions, to listen deeply, to um, recognize that actually people are able to solve most of their problems themselves if they're asked mm -hmm. the right questions and they're given support to get there. I think if we build that capability into our leadership teams, 
which actually means them doing some deep work themselves because they need to recognize what's getting in the way now of them having those conversations, then I think it's very, very hard to create a healthy culture. But, you know, I'm working with some amazing, amazing leaders who are really, really open to having those sorts of conversations. And you get them in a room and they're the ones that everybody wants to work for. Like without a shadow of of a doubt, you know, you know, the old adage of um, why would anybody, why should anybody be led by you? And I think Mm. that true leaders create a fellowship because people actually respect them and buy into them because they're just decent human beings. Um, Some of this is about just learning how to be a decent human being. Well, and also being able to sustain that through times of strife uh, and challenge and, and that's you know that, that's one of the keys from my point of view is you know people do these things and they do become potentially more vulnerable and everything else but then you know something goes wrong or there's an issue and and they sort of often revert to you know old behavior because it becomes more challenging and it, and the learning of being able to deal with these issues was, was fine when it was, you know, quite even, but now it's suddenly gone, you know, dramatic times and, and that then goes away again. And, and I guess that's about practice and, and reflection again, isn't it? Of It didn't work. I, I, I behave like I used to, you know, how can I do it the next time? Yeah. We all revert back to our old thinking and behavioral patterns when we're under stress unfortunately it's about recognizing the fact that you do that and knowing what triggers you but also there's a flip side to this i mean leaders have a responsibility to create these you know more kind and compassionate environments that people can work in but employees have to be kind and compassionate too so i can remember a few months ago being at a talk and one of the audience saying to me but what do i do if my boss is just um you know, a difficult person who, um, you know, isn't making it easy for me. Um, And I said, you have to be kind and compassionate too. We all have to be kind and compassionate. This isn't a one-way street, you know. Employees look to leaders for direction and for support. Um, But sometimes they struggle too, you know, we're all human. So I think that it's just a greater greater level of compassion. I mean, I call it radical love. We've we've yeah. forgotten how to love in organisations. Love's become this sort of stigmatised word um, that you know you you keep in your family life, but you don't bring into the workplace because no. you know it's almost a swear word, isn't it? But you know, I think mm-hmm. I think if we talk about radical love, what is radical love in the workplace? Well, it is about recognising the fact that we all have strengths, believing in each other, believing in ourselves, being able to forgive each other, recognising that we all have bad days. But, you know, the, the flip side to that is if, if every day is a bad day, then somebody needs to have a courageous conversation with that person. Every day can't be a bad day, so what's going on there? And it might be yeah. that they need some support or it might be that they need to do some, you know, self-development work to recognise how they're coming, apart, are coming across. But I think that we just need to get to grips with the fact that unless we are more human in the workplace, unless we try and build these environments where we're in it together and we're doing it together um, and we've all got a voice and we all want to be valued and be recognized, but we all need to be forgiving. And I think often what I see is the reason that leaders aren't forgiving of other people, and I have been there myself, is because I was never forgiving of myself. So yeah. I had such high expectations of my, you know, what I needed to deliver that when it came to other people who maybe didn't 
and I, and I don't, this is my, my peer group as well, not, not just my team, but when I saw other people who weren't, you know, doing what they really needed to do, it's the easiest thing to blame. It's the easiest thing to get angry and cross with people because they haven't done the job that you expect them to. Um, but actually, it's the hardest thing to turn around and say, right, did I set you up for success there? What do you need to do the best job? How can we do this? how can we get there together how can I bring out the best in you and, a, and an HR director of mine years and years ago um, said to me that we often push competent people to the point of incompetence and I think that just happens so much you know the best people in organizations can often be, end up becoming the ones who suffer the most because yeah. they you know they're, they're not given the support and they're given way too much work um, and at some point, they can't take that anymore because, you know, as I keep on saying, we are all human. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So how do you work with organisations and individuals to develop this? Because, again, understanding it is one thing, applying it and then applying it consistently is another thing. How How does that happen? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we do a lot of that work um, in conscious work through coaching. So coaching at an individual and a team level. So, you know, coaching is so, so powerful. When you sit down with somebody and really start exploring this stuff in a safe space, um, mm. a leader can bring all of this stuff to a coaching session and unpack it all and unpick it all and then go back to the day job feeling as though they've sort of relieved some of the burden. Um, I, I cannot believe sometimes some of the step changes that leaders make following uh, a coaching session where they've had some sort of epiphany and they realize that there's something really really simple getting in the way of them feeling better or doing something differently um, and so mm -hmm. through just a sounding board somebody to ask them questions they're not asking themselves somebody who they can play out the ticker tape in their mind in a more sort of coherent way with gives them that depth of insight that they wouldn't have got if they'd just carried on going as they were. And then team coaching is massively powerful for the same reason. So you're getting a group of people in a room and you're asking them questions they wouldn't necessarily ask themselves. And once again, sometimes that can be quite um, uh, difficult insofar as you're bringing up things that people wouldn't necessarily have a conversation with each other about. But when it's facilitated in the right way and when people are able to um, be honest and when you create a safe space, and we would set that up so people knew that they, they could be open and honest. Sometimes it, it might take a few sessions for people to, to really open up, but it can really it can really make a difference. But then, I mean, from a sort of cultural perspective, you're working with leadership teams to help them to really define what the vision is for the organization, what's the higher purpose, what's the the why as Simon Sinek would say that you're you're expecting everybody to work to because you know people go mm -hmm. to work for far more than than um, <laughs> as you said fruit but you know fair pay <laughs> you know people are now expecting to go to work and actually get some nourishment from their jobs you know life mm -hmm. is demanding and so you know we we should expect to go to work and be nourished by what we do and so knowing that we are delivering for something that's bigger than ourselves that we're contributing to something that is better than ourselves and that we can bring some value to that it means leaders being able to articulate that so you mm -hmm. know there's really really clear articulation of a clear vision and purpose and why 
it's alignment mm. of people's roles and goals to that vision. So, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate now for continuous performance management. You know, annual appraisals are absolutely ridiculous. They do not work. They do not bring out the best in each other. And they don't create those relationships between managers and, and employees, which are such a significant differentiator in um, people being able to do the best job because they mm. deal with course correction if people aren't doing the work that matters most they pick that up really really quickly especially if you're having regular conversations you're able to speak to people about their development and their strengths and whether they're heading in the right direction you can pick up on well-being needs in those conversations and you can make sure that people's um, objectives and goals are really really clearly aligned to the overall um, vision and direction that the organization mm. is working in and that's so so important to people um so we do a lot of work around vision values and beh the behavior and alignment that goes with that so you really really embed that into the organization mm. and of course all of that fits very nicely with our four enablers of engagement around the strategic narrative what is that story that we're connecting people to that vision and uh engaging managers being about regularly coaching treating people as individuals and you know all that sort of stuff um so question just not wanting to do the whole sort of millennial thing because um i tend to believe you know people haven't changed that much i think the environment's changed so the things we want are more available than they might have been you know before but given the sort of um uh popular view of, of millennial sort of age uh workers wanting more meaning and and being more demanding and changing jobs if they don't get what they want in that way sort of thing um do you think i i've observed and i have a view i'll see what um your view is um, do, you, do you think that they might have more more crack the well-being thing than older people um who didn't understand it and didn't have those opportunities and and then sort of people are at a, at a younger age having more opportunity to get it right sooner if that makes sense yeah, I mean, I, God, I, I'm amazed by some of the younger people that I see and what they're doing um, and the fact that they're speaking up so much. I, I think they are getting it more right. I mean, you know, if you look at all of the, well, not all of the, if you look at certain startups and tech companies, which often have a younger population um, and yeah. co-working spaces where I see lots of, of young people working, I also see lots of people who are, you know, slightly longer in the tooth like me um mm -hmm. they i think i think they they are getting it more right but i don't think that our needs are different i don't i think that you know the average 20 year old and the average 40 year old probably want the same thing from work yeah. and i mm -hmm. think you know that the reason i i see a big shift is because the technological advances in the last 10 years have been um massive and so mm. we're now in a situation where we have to change the way we do things. And of course, the younger generation might be slightly more technically savvy um, than your average 40 or 50 year old casting their aspersions. Um, <laughs> and I think they just know how to capitalize on the tech a bit more. So, mm. you know, I think that sort of gives an advantage. But I think they do speak up more. I think there's a sort of, I'm really, I hate generalizations and I don't, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't like to put people into, to boxes but I see from the, from the younger people that I work with they're mm -hmm. not as scared to say you know what I'm not doing this <laughs> or you yeah. know what actually you said that you were going to support my well-being but our hours are ridiculous so I just I'm not going to do that um, yeah. and they recognize that actually they could probably just go out and set up something on their own 
um, yeah. and they're not so dependent on you know big organisations and corporations to give them jobs anymore because yeah. the, the workforce has just become so much more fluid. So I think we yeah. probably all want the same thing, but maybe they're speaking up more than we that, than we would have done. And you know, there's this whole digital revolution that just enables so much more flexibility around how we work these days, and they're you know making yeah. great great use of it. Mm, yeah lovely thank you um so last couple of minutes literally of the show any top tips to leave the listeners with oh okay cool ah i could say so much um i i guess based on my own personal experience um the voices in your head <laughs> the ones that tell you that you're you know uh, an imposter or that you're not doing the best job or that somebody will find you out at some point they're not real so you've got this little annoying thing in your head that um, is just trying to hold you back. And when you start recognizing that, you can actually start to feel a little bit co- more comfortable in your own skin and, and reduce the anxiety. So there's something about just recognizing what's true and what's real in your own in your own voice. I think we mm. have to get real with ourselves and recognize that most of us are not our best selves. So, you know, you can live in cloud cuckoo land for the rest of your life and decide that you're going to continue to carry on working the way that you are, or you can get real and decide that for the sake of you, for the sake of your family, and for the sake of your team, you're going to become a better version of yourself. And so then you can go and get some help to make that happen. Um, And I guess the last thing is about what are you role modeling? And I'm speaking specifically to leaders here. I role model modeled really poor behavior when I was a senior leader in business and I would tell people to stop working at five and I would continue to work until 10. I would tell people not to message in the evenings and I would message them all evening. I would, you know, tell them not to take work home at the weekends and I would take work home all weekend. Now all the stuff yeah. that, you know, I didn't want anybody else to do, but I did and it just expected yeah. them to not do it. So wise up, <laughs> you know, they yeah. are going to copy you regardless of what yeah. you say. Your actions speak much, much louder. So really think about what you are modeling to your people. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Natasha. It's been great talking to you today. And just to let you know, next week's guest is Rebecca uh, Jerry of Neighbour, and her and I are going to be talking about the importance of financial well-being in the workplace. So I look forward to speaking to you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.